From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, joined by Uncle Funky Larry Jones. And on the line, I have one of the nation's top healthcare experts, Dr. Garth Graham. And uh, we're going to talk about why minorities are more vulnerable uh, to all of these things that are going on and what we can do uh, to help. So please welcome Dr. Graham on the Public Affairs Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Good, 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 and thank you for having me. These are important things to be talking about at an important time. Yes, indeed. Um, with everything that's all COVID is just um, has got people still in a, in a tizzy, but the most shocking and alarming part of COVID-19 is how minorities are the ones that are affected the most. And um, we understand that, you know, black and brown people have these underlining health issues. But um, why do you think COVID is affecting minorities more than uh, their yeah. white it's, counterparts? It's a, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a multi-pronged issue. Um, one, um, as you just mentioned before, um, you know, there's a higher rate of chronic diseases in minority communities and black and brown communities. And that could be potentially playing a role. But also we have an over-representation in black and brown communities in essential frontline workers. So a lot of the folks um, that are doing the job that's needed to keep the country going, um, but in doing that, they increase their risk of exposure. And, um, you know, from hospital systems to uh, people um, on the road keeping um, our food supply going, you know, there's, just, it's just, it's, it, there's a higher proportion of black and brown people there, and I think that's, um, lent increased exposure. And then the other is just, you know, challenges that we face um, around kind of um, you know, the, the, the history of racism and um, other kind of structural uh, things that lead to housing challenges and things along those lines. So it's really a multi-pronged issue of, of why um, it's impacting minority communities the most. Some, like, like I just alluded to, is rooted in history, um, but, uh, um, and some um, around, you know, this, the dynamics and the climate of the current pandemic. Yeah, and I, I see that um, you have teamed up with CVS Health. Um, how did that come about, and why did you all uh, feel that it was important to address such? Yeah, yeah, so so this campaign is is coming from uh, CVS Health. This is our campaign, and it's the Time for Care initiative. It's really a call to action from CVS Health, encouraging individuals to prioritize in-person primary care needs. And the thing they were trying to do is to encourage people to take care of themselves, especially people with hypertension, um, diabetes, um, you know, heart disease, people who have had strokes, um, things that, you know, compromise your overall health care. We want folks to stay um, um, healthy, you know, stay on top of their preventative uh, screening, um, stay on top of their overall um, uh, health care. Um, and, you know, a lot of us are used to taking care of families and communities. We want to make sure that people continue to take care of themselves. So I'm glad that you mentioned um, all of those ailments in conjunction with COVID. So what uh, people who are dealing with the list uh, that you just gave, how can they uh, take care of themselves better on top of, you know, with COVID-19 being what it is? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so firstly, you know, staying safe from COVID is important. So, you know, washing your hands wearing a mask, staying socially distant, you know, um, staying home if sick, those things are important. But for, for, for those um, with, and those without chronic diseases who want to stay healthy, 
you know, physical activity is very important. That's been another major thing that's been impacted during this pandemic. You know, um, walking, um, running, um, or, you know, anything um, that um, is important in terms of uh, physical activity um, is, is key here to continue to do. And the last thing is there's a lot of stress um, associated with the pandemic and even with just challenges that we may have been all facing beforehand. So maintaining your own mental health during this time period um, and staying socially connected is really important. Mm, and and um, <laughs> how can we do that, though? Like, I, I, I hear you, and it's like, yes, yeah, but yeah. we can't even be close to each other. So for those oh, that are I listening, know. like, what, what do you suggest, Doc? <laughs> yeah, so a couple of things I tell my family, friends, and patients is, um, one, you know, use technology to stay socially connected where we can. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, you know, there's there's distance in terms of physical, you know, but let's try to have less distance in terms of emotional um, and letting people know that, you know, we're here and we care about them and that letting them know they, that so they can also, you know, that they care about you. The other thing um, is, you know, a lot of times taking time to um, disengage from all the information and just kind of um, calming and some of the things that people do to um, help control their mind. And they may be spiritual in terms of connectivity, but also just um, um, overall, um, you know, um, emotional um, dynamics that um, allow us to, to, to really, again, kind of recenter during a lot of this is really important because there's so much information and so many things that one can get worried and stressed about, um, about you know, a lot that um, we hopefully can all be thankful for as we get through this whole pandemic together. Hey, Dr. Graham, it's Larry, and uh, again, thank you for being on the podcast. It's interesting you brought that up because just the other day on another show, we had a doctor out of Chicago who was suggesting some of the same things, and KG and I have been proponents of finding a moment, an hour, two hours to shut everything off, take your shoes off. If you're close to a park, find some grass, reconnect with mother nature and just have a spiritual moment of ah let me regroup because first of all i did wake up this morning so there must be some reason why i'm here and that might be to help push the meter forward or find the cure for covid19 or save all the world's problems but we we were in alignment with you and your colleagues when when you, you you're telling us the very simple things to do to come down and, and, and de-stress. Are we close? Yeah, yeah. I, I love your suggestion. I, I didn't know about the taking off your shoes part, but that, that just makes the connection even better. Uh, but I am a big proponent, and there's a lot of clinical scientific studies to talk about how resting your mind in a mindfulness way or whatever way we want to term it is just beneficial both in terms of physical and mental health. So I would I would support that wholeheartedly. Just taking time to, you know, de-stress and 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 dis- disconnect um, is really important for recentering. Mm-hmm. Doc, you know, um, people, especially <laughs> especially people in our community and in our culture, it's just uh, it. And this probably <laughs> this probably originated from slavery too. Now that I sit here and I mm-hmm. think about it, but um, folks in the black community, when something is wrong with us, we a lot of times they just overlook it. Uh, you know, this will be gone in a couple of days or they'll just totally ignore it and avoid every way to go to the doctor to see 
what is wrong with them. I myself, I don't have a problem going to the doctor. If something's wrong with me, I'm going to go, I guess maybe because at such an early age when I had, you know, all these surgeries and just the regular follow-ups and checkups, like going to the doctor was nothing. But can you please dispel the fears uh, for black and brown folks for preventing them from going to the hospital or doctor's office? Yeah, you know, that's something I've been studying out of a lot of my career and believe deeply in. You know, um, black and brown communities, um, you know, we need to, there's a long history of things that have happened in our communities that certainly, you know, may, may breed some mistrust of the medical system. But now is a different time. Now is the time when we have to kind of take control of our own health, take control of the kinds of things that you just mentioned, even our own emotions, um, understanding the impact of that things like depression, anxiety that are undiagnosed within our community can cause a lot of challenges. Um, and seeking care for these issues is not a bad thing um, because a lot of times um, there are clinical and non-clinical interventions that are helpful. So we, I think, are at a point now um, where I think um, history, we, we've learned a lot from history, um, but we're building the future and you know, taking control of our health has to be a part of the future that we build. Mm-hmm. And I mean... I can honestly say I don't I don't blame, you know, black and brown folks for not trusting, um, you know, the doctors in America, especially here in America, because of all of the things that they have done to us. I specifically I think of the Tuskegee experiment. Um, I, I, I'm currently thinking of whenever this vaccine for COVID-19 that comes out, how I, I saw a video with Alan Dershowitz saying that, you know, they're going to make us take this vaccine. And if you don't, then the police are going to come in and take you and strap you down and inject you with this vaccine. No, this was a real video that I saw just this morning. Uh, Alan Dershowitz uh, saying that. With a chip in it, right? <laughs> Very interesting. So, you know, with, with, with this country's history of how they always trying and testing things out on, on black folk, you know, I can understand why some people may have a little, you know, be, be a sure, little hesitant sure. to uh, to go because this country hasn't treated us well. Oh, yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I've done a lot of research on the legacy of the Tuskegee experiment, and it certainly has impacted even a lot of, you know, how we initially approach HIV AIDS in the 1980s mm. and 90s um, mm. in general. Um, you know, but, but, but here's the thing I'd say. Right now, we as a community, we, 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 we have grown, we have, um, um, we, we continue to empower ourselves in a number of different ways and taking charge of our own health. And, you know, the, the issues around vac- vaccines is important too, you know, making sure we get uh, more vaccines in our community for against flu vaccine, pneumonia, all of those things that help prevent health, uh, prevent disease, particularly important. So, you know, I, I agree with you that we can't ignore um, the impact that history has had um, and, 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 and understanding that, that, how that has happened. But we have such a chance now to take advantage of the things that are medically and clinically available in front of us that we have to. And I think vaccines is one of those things that um, are going to be, certainly for COVID-19 would be helpful for us, but um, have been really impactful in terms of just you know, flu and pneumonia and you know, helping prevent a lot of diseases there. Indeed. Uh, the Public Affairs Podcast welcomes Dr. Garth Graham. Um, and Dr. Graham, I, you, please forgive me for um, not mentioning um, your incredible 
resume, especially during your tender tenure with the Obama administration. Dr. Graham was the de- deputy assistant secretary in the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, where he also led the Office of Minority Health. More importantly, um, he helped implement key health provisions in the Affordable Care Act, um, which they're trying to take away from us uh, at, at this very moment as we speak right now. Um, so big ups to you, and 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 thank you for all that you've done on that front. And Dr. Graham, can you take us through some of the most exciting times you had under the Obama administration? I mean, we all need a feel-good moment right now, and you, you were as close to the man as any of us can possibly get to. So, Especially now. tell tell yeah, us how good know, it was. You know, I think the the Lord has blessed me with a lot of experiences, even my current role now, to be able to impact people's health and. You know, I'm just thankful for that. I will say that, you know, one of the things, you know, we tackled H1N1 during the Obama administration. Um, and it's very, it was, you know, there was a lot of impact that was happening on um, black and brown communities, especially black and brown children, um, and being able to get people information. And again, you know, um, you know, stressing how we were able to tackle flu and pneumonia and, and, and in very similar kind of inspections processes. We did, a, you know, there were a lot of people, who did did tremendous amount of work with closing vaccinations within um, uh, minority communities. So um, you're right; it was it was an exciting time. I think right now we're facing challenges. Um, my my hope is that we can um, t- come out of this with um, you know things that we've learned and things that we can do better. And one of the things I would say, and I love the way you've said everything during this conversation, is how do we collectively you know move our community forward. Um, you know, thinking through both the clinical and non-clinical things that we need to address. And I just loved your taking off the shoes and taking a moment. And that's one thing I learned back then, I continue to learn now, is refocusing allows us to get re-energized and move forward faster. Um, and now is a time when I think we can refocus on the health in the black and brown communities and hopefully move faster and better in the future. Yes, indeed. Um, the, the doctor that we had on on another show from Chicago um, she was a um, psychiatrist, and so I asked her, what is she doing uh, for her physical and mental health um, so she can keep going because you can't pour from an empty cup? So, Dr. Graham, I want to ask you mm. the exact same question. Uh, with everything that you're doing, being on the front lines, um, what are you doing to take time yeah. out for your physical and mental health so you can continue uh, to, to fight the good fight? Yeah, thanks for asking that. You know, um, I often don't do a good job on that. And, um, you know, dealing with... Same thing she said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, too much of us, too much of us forget, you know, forget about self-care even when we preach it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I did realize more and more and more how much that was important for me and connecting with my own doctor to make sure I I was up to date on everything I needed to be doing. And that's something as black men that we don't do a good job of. Um, and being able to, to, to make sure that we're clinically, you know, um, up to date on all of our screens. That was one thing. And then, but from a personal level, I think every morning, just taking some time to be thankful for the opportunities. Um, um, and I didn't take off, I don't take off my shoes, which I probably should do. Um, but just kind of sitting and, and, you know, whether it be a moment of thought, prayer, you know, um, resetting, just thinking through, like, you know, just how, Blessed we are to be able to do the things we are to help the communities the way we are, um, and even though it's stressful, um, it is a blessing to be able to do to, to be able to do these roles and to do these things. So are you I by, try and, and do that. 
Uh, are you near a body of water where you stay by any chance? I am. Oh my goodness, you you are speaking to my heart. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So we have a. Uh, I mean, water is so therapeutic. I don't even know why. I've, I've, I should see if there are any studies on this. Water just feels therapeutic. Yeah. I think it's just distracting. I mean, we're here in uh, Houston and Galveston, uh, and the, the shores of the, the Gulf of Mexico is just like an hour away. And on any given day, like when I need, to, when I feel the need that I need to, uh, to have a mental deso- uh, detox and a wusa, I will drive down to the Gulf of Mexico and just oh. sit out there and wusa, let the ocean, you know, breathe in that ocean air oh. and just take a nap oh. and just enjoy nature and when i tell you when i when i leave there and i come back i i literally feel like a new person and i'm gonna tell you what i can do for you doc i can give you all of my uh youtube uh videos on on rain meditation because when i put my headphones on we just disappear but we what what kg and i have have had to adapt to along with the the, the men and women who were not furloughed here at, here at the media outlet is that we were on 12 to 16 hour shifts. We are always here. So at some point in time, we were beginning to break down. We were not being as nice to each other as we were. We were walking around with this edge, which we knew in our hearts re- really wasn't us. So we as a collective group of broadcasters who really care about each other, just kind of sat down and asked each other how their day was going, what they did. And and it was amazing to hear that a lot of our coworkers were stressed out over what I'm going to say, mm. nothing. That in a normal day would have gone right by them. But now, mm. in this era, everything is magnified. Mm. So we, we've just learned to speak to each other. We know the truth. Mm. So we've... And I, my, my, my young brother sitting in front of me has taught me eloquently, Doc, just turn it off. Turn him off. Turn them off. You know the truth. Right. Do not listen to the lie and find your space of peace. So uh, yeah. Dr. Dyer, one of my, my mentors, taught us to take our shoes off, take our socks off, reconnect with nature. If you don't have any grass, then you go to a park and just sit under a tree and just look at that tree and listen to it for a minute. And you'll hear some amazing things. So that's kind of how we got to where we are, Doc. Yeah, Doc. So you I know what? I'm going to take, take, take a lesson learned. Uh, I will be taking my shoes off um, uh, when next I go outside and connecting more. So I think I learned something today from this conversation. So thank oh, you. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. Thank and before you, you go, how, how can people stay informed about uh, health care challenges at hashtag uh, Time for Care? Yes, yes, yes. Before I forget, thank you. Um, um, so the, the website is etna.com, A-E-T-N-A.com forward slash time for care. And that's where you get a lot of information on, you know, just staying up to date, um, even, you know, finding a doctor nearby, um, but staying up to date on all of the things that, you know, folks should be doing to stay healthy. Indeed. Well, we thank you for your time. Dr. Garth Graham, yes, a sir. top healthcare expert. Uh, with Aetna CVS Health, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. And thank you for the information. This is wonderful. This is a great, <laughs> great, great conversation. Thank you for this. Yes, indeed. No, we appreciate and, you, and sir. Thank you. And for all of our all fans right. listening to the podcast, we'll be right back after this. From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth. 
joined by Uncle Foncularry Jones. How you doing, man? My friend, I am well. You look great. Ah, uh, thank you. I, you know, I'm wearing a, another birthday gift from one Larry Jones. Uh, Nice little pair of Ray-Ban shades that I have on. I just, I'm obsessed with. I can't take them off. So thank you, Anki, for that. Oh, and you got the seaweed soap. Also brought you some seaweed soap today. Nice. Okay. Nice. That is really nice. Um, Listen, we are, um, everything is still COVID, of course. Uh, This won't end until probably 2022. Um, There's talks of them shutting down the state of Texas, which needs to be done. Let's, Let's shut it down for the month of August. And let's let's just get go through what we have to go through. We should have did this. Well, realistically, in March, April. Yeah, I mean, our neighbors went out and lost their minds. Unfortunately, uh, didn't practice anything we've been talking about. So here we are again. But there's always hope. There is always there's hope. Always hope. Uh, but my concern is a lot of people are they've been laid off or furloughed, and you know, trying to find part time gigs to. Sure help make ends meet and you know sometimes it ain't working out for them some people they have money that is you know saved away but maybe that savings account is slowly depleting because as time goes on but uh, we have someone here to uh, help us with uh, some of the um, financial situations she is the principal and financial advisor for Westbilt financial group ladies and gentlemen kathleen e owens is on the public affairs podcast right. welcome hi kg and larry thank you yes, thanks ma'am. so much mm-hmm. thank you for uh coming on the show so Absolutely. Um, how are things in the financial world like what, what are things looking like now for the money people with COVID? you know i think you were just talking about the state of Texas looking to potentially close down again. There's a lot of uncertainty, I think, for most people, not only in their finances, but also in their personal lives. Yeah. There's just so much uncertainty and, and unawareness of what's going to happen to us. So I think that's a general feeling that people have right now is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, navigating the job market can uh, present its own challenges during this uh, epidemic. And uh, thanks to technology, uh, you know, with these unique times, we can stay up on um, things more. Uh, can you tell us about uh, the opportunities uh, that you would pursue in person if, if they had to move from, um, of course, being in person one-on-one to being online? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly when we were pre-COVID, you could see people face-to-face, have lunch with them, have coffee. I think you can still translate, quite frankly, to the cyber world that we're in now with COVID. You can still reach out to folks on LinkedIn. I think that's a great resource, by the way. If you're looking for a job or you're just out of school, go to LinkedIn. Start connecting with people and asking them to do a virtual coffee. I mean, we've all probably been Zoomed out a little bit too much. Maybe some of us are tired of that or FaceTime. But I think you can still make those one-on-one connections, even if it is virtually, and asking people for their time. Because, frankly, people want to help other people. Mm Mm-hmm. Kathleen, uh, my mom was huge on saving a nickel, which turns into a dime, which turns mm-hmm. into a quarter. Mm-hmm. So, Very wise woman. It, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. I, 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 I love and miss her dearly. Can you walk us through some practical things folk can do who are listening to the podcast right now who are probably shocked to hear us say something about savings? And it mm-hmm. really, in my opinion, it really isn't as hard as it may seem. You know, it's not, but what it is, it's the habits. I think that's the hardest thing. It's like starting an exercise routine. You know, people are like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym. 
once you make that step, starting those habits, you're right, then nickel becomes the dime, which becomes the dollar. So it's really starting those good habits now. I'll give you some quick examples. Maybe it's a matter of setting up automatic savings from your checking account into your savings account every month, and the money just goes into your savings account so you don't have to take that action. It happens for you automatically, and it just continues to compound in that way. So I think setting things up automatically is a great start to do that. I do and, that myself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do it for both pay periods, not just once a month. Yeah. I, I right, there you go, both, both pay periods. You're yeah. doing the, the exact habit I'm talking about. Um, right now we have time at home during COVID. Take a look at where you're spending your money. I, I'll be honest with you, our household, we like to travel. Haven't been doing that as much, and it's simple as seeing grandparents and family. We're, we're stockpiling that money. We're saving it. I'm building up the emergency savings fund. I'm getting ready to make purchases in the future. But we're taking a really good evaluation of our situation now while we have the time and kind of that momentary pause, if you will, to look at it. Mm -hmm. I think one of the places where a lot of money gets down the drain is uh, eating out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <I know it. laughs> Absolutely. Like I, I had to look at myself and I said, wow, I really spent this much money in a week eating out. I need to stop it. Right. Clothes. I mean, I don't know about you. Someone mentioned something new they're wearing, but I'm not spending a whole lot on clothing right now because no. and I I'm working from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a good, to your point, evaluate where you're spending the kind of that discretionary money, you know, clothes, food, trips, and just, you know, maybe stockpile that now and get yourself prepared and, and ready for the future. Mm -hmm. So what would be a p good place or a good investment if I had some disposable income that I've adjusted from all this? So I'm not buying the clothes. I'm not traveling. And mm -hmm. I, I want to stockpile, but I'd like to see it grow and just not just sit there and be flat. What would I invest in? Or what? And let me rephrase it. Sure. What are some of your suggestions for mm -hmm. us to invest our money? Well, I'm going to give you a couple of things. So Good first, question. for the money that is for your true emergency savings, such as I have a roof repair or my car broke, that really needs to be just plain old boring savings or money market. doesn't need to be fancy because you want that money to be there when you need it. You're not really looking for that to grow. That needs to be accessible and ready for you to use as you need it. After that, once you have that emergency savings, after that we recommend you look at the retirement plans that your employer may have because it's very mm. likely you have a match there. Take advantage of that match. You know, find out what your employer has and start there. Hmm. Once you've maximized that, then you can look outside of that at Roth IRAs or IRAs, different types of retirement accounts for you individually. But there's kind of that step process. First, the first layer is emergency savings, making sure my house is set. And then the next is employer. And the next you can look and layer in, you know, Roth IRAs or IRAs based on your situation. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to credit and paying your credit cards or your credit debt, um, I've heard a plethora of things from various financial advisors. What would you suggest? Like, for instance, I heard um, a gentleman say, you know, make the minimum payments and, you know, that's it. Whatever the, the, the interest rate is on that card, like you can make that up on the back end. But so you won't look bad, like make the minimum payments. And if you do have an extra $100, you know, go ahead and put that on the card. I don't know. Everybody's situation is different. Kathleen, what do you suggest? Mm -hmm. 
I don't like debt. I'll be honest with you. So um, that's an interesting suggestion that the gentleman gave you is to pay the minimum. If yeah. You look at some of he the said that nowadays, on television. He said it on they, TV. <laughs> look at your statement. Okay, so the statements nowadays, if you look at your credit card statements, it'll give you this little box and says if you pay the minimum, it's going to take you 30 years to pay this off. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Right. That is yeah. a very – I mean – I wish my pet lived 30 years. I don't want my credit card balance to live 30 years. Like, I loved my dog. I wish she could have lived 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would have different advice than him. I would say, uh, uh, frankly, I would put everything down on a piece of paper. What are all your debts? What are they? You know, you've got your credit cards, your student loans, your house. I like the idea of starting with the smaller ones and attacking those and then working your way up. Because debt, to me, Really, in this country, in today's day and age, we talk about the student loan debt, et cetera. It strangles people. It doesn't give you the ability to breathe and to grow and to have that savings. I mean, no one wants to build more buildings for American Express, quite frankly. And that's what you're doing by paying those minimums for 30 years. Hmm. So I'm a proponent of of attacking your debt and getting that down as much as you can. Because just the freedom you have from less debt or none is I have clients that have that, and it's an amazing transition in their lives, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, for the new graduates, for those who graduated this year, poor class mm-hmm. of 2020, but we're still mm-hmm. behind you, you know, and we're going to make up for all of the <laughs> pomp and circumstance that you Absolutely. missed, class of Absolutely. 2020. Please don't worry. Uh, but for my new grads that are um, entering the job market and mm-hmm. as stressful as that can be about finding their uh, first job, stress management can take on many forms. Um, what do you, what advice do you give to these new college grads that are looking for their first job? Right. So I talked a little bit ago about LinkedIn, connecting with people that you want to emulate, maybe positions you would like to have or you're interested mm-hmm. in. I would definitely make those connections and, and start there. You know, start having conversations with people. Maybe you can find mentors or maybe you have mentors from college that you reach back to. Um, I think that's, that's one key is making those connections. I think the second you hit on it is the stress management. Frankly, all of us are going through that, working from home. You know, our kids might be at home. Maybe we are looking for a new job. It's working on that stress management, making you're taking some time for yourself. Go out for a walk, get some fresh air, exercise. So don't let your situation completely overwhelm you or overtake you, I think, is the other key. Um, and, and having those connections with friends and family, like sharing. I know I found sometimes during COVID just sharing what I'm feeling with someone, if mm-hmm. it's anxiety or stress, mm-hmm. that helps so much just getting it off of your mind and your chest is opening up to people and being a little bit more vulnerable in what you're going through. And, again, people want to help. We all want to help each other. Yes, indeed. That's, that's funny. I said um, <laughs> I said to my coworkers on a Microsoft Teams call, like, listen, revolution has begun there is no withholding of information right Share it's all out there everything <laughs> well, question everything maybe there's a few things you want to keep to yourself but just about everything i think is <laughs> right okay right of importance things that'll be of importance right. yeah yeah definitely. absolutely kathleen yeah. is there a, where can people follow you is there a website or anything absolutely yeah there's so our website is www.westbuiltfinancial and that's w e s t B-I-L-T, financial.com. I'm also very active. I talked about LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn. Please look me up. I will connect with you. I will help you in any way I can. Um, Also on Facebook, you can look us up on Facebook, myself, and the company as well. So I'm happy to connect and help folks. Mm -hmm. 
Kathleen, it's been a pleasure and an honor. We thank you for your bright, precise information. Thank you. This is good to hear. There are people on the podcast who probably hadn't checked out LinkedIn in a while. Yeah. And hopefully nope. we can recharge that site today. Go check it out. And lastly, I do um, wish to note that security is offered through JW Cole Financial and member of FINRA SIPC. Also, advisory services offered through JW Cole Advisors. Westville Financial and JW Cole and JW Cole Advisors are unaffiliated entities. And thank you, gentlemen. I really enjoyed the conversation. I had a great time today. Well, we enjoyed you, my friend. Thank you. Kathleen Owens, mm -hmm. Westbuilt Financial. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Moving right along into our next conversation. Uh, Please welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast. He is the manager at Trust for America's Health, Mr. Adam Lustig. Good morning and welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yes. Uh, Please tell us about uh, Trust for America's Health. Uh, so the Trust for America's Health is a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., and we're a nonpartisan public health research and advocacy organization that's dedicated to promoting the health and well-being of every person and community across the country. And we specifically focus on health equity and ensuring that those that are most uh, vulnerable um, are able to achieve their full health. Mm, nice. And how long has uh, this been around? Um, so we've been around for about 15 years now, and so um, we've traditionally focused on advocating for um, a robust public health system, but I think as we're all recognizing as a, as a country that there's a greater need to address some of these underlying issues that impact everyone's health, and in this case, I'm here to discuss the, the importance of nutrition, especially amongst children. Well, Adam, let's get started because we we all know that there's a tremendous underserved part of our communities, uh, usually uh, black and brown skin uh, children. The only meal they may get in the day is at their school through their program. So how is your organization affecting that? Uh, sure. And I think, as you said, there are many children in Texas and across the country that rely on school meals for often their only um, nutritious meal of the day. So in Texas, about 57% of students get free or reduced price lunches, and that works out to about 3.1 million children. So for these children, this is often the only nutritious meal they have. And uh, the report that we had released last week highlights how schools have adapted their programs to ensure that um, regardless of the school's operating status, whether it's fully closed, whether they may be entering into online education, that uh, students are still able to access these meals. And so we highlight the amazing work that school districts have done to prop up meal distribution sites, uh, delivery of meals via school buses, and in some cases, even uh, delivering meals individually to children in recognition that uh, these meals are a lifeline for many families in Texas and across the country. So um, how are you? How have you all been getting uh, the word out to know that, um, th- th- that you're there? To be honest, Adam, I haven't heard of this organization until uh, now, until we got the email about having you all on the podcast. Um, so we're a, we're a policy organization, and so we, we may not always be known to um, a lot of individuals and to your listeners, um, but what we're really trying to do is to promote and prop up 
effective evidence-based policies that have been shown to improve health. And so for, for this work, there's um, reams of data and evidence that support the importance of ensuring uh, access to nutritious meals for children. Indeed. And uh, I'm seeing how uh, you all have the uh, Beyond School Walls, how federal, state, and local entities are adapting policies to ensure student access to healthy meals during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. How are they doing that? Let let us know so that, so the people can know. Um, so uh, the, the first thing I want to acknowledge that school districts have done an amazing job at being able to essentially overnight create new programs to ensure access to these meals for the children that depend on them. Um, so as I said before, um, schools have developed uh, meal distribution sites or use, using buses and things of that nature. And that's all thanks to um, the USDA, a federal agency that oversees school meal programs, uh, providing waivers to school districts to provide these types of programs because typically um, there are regulations and restrictions on when meals can be served, how many meals can be given out at a single time, the nutritional value of these meals, and a, a slew of other regulations. Um, but school districts and states have been able to leverage these flexibilities provided to them by the federal government to be innovative and really meet the needs of their local communities. What we highlight in the report that you had referenced is that all of these flexibilities were applied to the past school year. And so there's going to need to be action taken in order to ensure that we can continue uh, having children access uh, these very nutritious meals. So Alan, with COVID-19 wreaking havoc across America and a lot of school districts in limbo of when they should actually open, if it's a virtual, if it's an actual classroom, how does that help your uh, how does your organization help us sort through this maze? Um, so uh, COVID-19 in general, um, as I said, we're a public health advocacy organization. And so we've developed a, a number of resources related um, to the um, federal government's response, state government's response, and even local government's response to COVID-19. Um, so whether that is highlighting promising or um, effective practices, um, or um, trying to shed a light on issues that uh, we think are not being adequately addressed um, in either current federal legislation or through um, local or state action. So where can our listeners get uh, more information on um, everything that Trust for America's Health does? Are you on social media, uh, the website? Give it all. Uh, sure. Um, so uh, our website is tfah.org. And on that website, we have a webpage solely dedicated to COVID-19 resources where you can find information on food insecurity uh, in addition to some of the other issues that I've highlighted. Um, our Twitter handle is Healthy America uh, One. That's the number one. Um, and on there, you'll be able to um, follow our most recent uh, developments and briefs and reports that we put out on a regular basis. Indeed. Adam Lustig, manager for Trust for America's Health. Any last words, anything uh, that, that the people need to know? Um, I would, um, I, first, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity um, to uh, share this information with your listeners. And I'd also encourage your listeners to reach out to local nonprofits or food banks and see what type of support that they may need. It may be financial support. They may need uh, food donations. They may just need help getting the word out. But I think um, it's pretty um, well accepted across 
the country, no matter what your political affiliation is, no matter what your race or ethnicity is, that no child should go hungry. And so these types of programs should be adequately funded so that families and children can have access uh, to nutritious meals. Adam, thank you for your time, sir. Thank you for your organization, and thank you for caring enough for America's children that your organization would have these policies in effect. It, it means a great deal to parents like myself, even grandparents, and we appreciate this new knowledge. So thank you for being a part of the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. And we'll be right back with more of the Public Affairs Podcast after this. <laughs> 